You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. Uh, We are zooming towards NFL training camps. We're about two and a half weeks away. Also, what that sets the signal for is fantasy football drafts. So we'll be talking a little bit about fantasy. Euros will celebrate the Italians a little bit. I've been celebrating ever since. First off, let's go ahead and bring on our guest. We've got from USA, the University of South Alabama wide receiver, Jalen Wayne. So here's Jalen Wayne. Jalen, how you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you? Good. Doing all right. So you have a Doberman. Yes, sir. Yes, I do. He's lost right now. My, uh, girlfriend's out looking for him right now the reason i asked i mean we talked yesterday and you had mentioned that so god i hope you find him yeah any yeah. leads that anybody has anybody seen the dog yeah it's been a couple like people saying that they've seen him. there's a couple people that called me last night uh someone called me around like nine or ten and i was out looking for him to like two in the morning and then i was up this morning looking for him before workouts and stuff i mean it's just certain that he is alive so like at least that's like you know, off our shoulders. We just got to find a way of getting him is basically the thing. But I got a lot of people looking for him right now. So I'm just really just leaving it up to the community. I mean, they helping out a lot. You know, that's like really great. Well, that's great. I hope I hope they find him quickly. Getting to football, uh, you only played one year at high school football. What finally convinced you to, to go ahead and play? Well, I mean, I was a big basketball guy you know, from middle school to high school, I was just noticing, like, I wasn't really getting as many scholarship offers in that sport as I wanted to, and I felt like I was a pretty big-time athlete. Like, I just didn't feel like I was getting the exposure I wanted, and my friends just kind of let me know that football was kind of, like, the big thing in Alabama, so I should try it out. And I went out to try for Faith Academy's uh, football team in the spring, and I had, like, got a position, play receiver, made a couple plays, and then, like, I transferred to Spanish Sport that summer and got connected with Coach Blackman and just, you know, it kind of took off from there, I guess. Why wide receiver, Jalen? I mean, why did you decide to to go to wide receiver, or did they just put you there? The last time I played football was, like, peewee, and that's what I played then. So, like, I just kind of naturally went there, and I've always, like, been able to catch like objects or like just catch balls in, in basketball pretty easily so I just felt like it would translate I like to jump and I like to run fast and like you know that's just correlates from basketball to receiver really to me obviously that's a big change going from from hoops to, to football and it seems like you really love the game yeah. now I mean as far as football goes so what kind yeah, of sure. triggered that that love of, the, of football now well, I just feel like I got, like, an addictive mentality, to be honest. Like, I'm just addicted to, like, sports in general. And, like, when I was playing basketball, I was always the dude that was in the gym all the time getting all type of shots up. So, like, when I made the change and I got in college and I just started realizing that, like, this is what I wanted to do and I felt like I could go far with it, I just, you know, applied that same mindset to football. And I just, I'm, I'm always at the field house. I'm always doing something extra. So, like, that's just what a love kind of generates from. I guess specifically because, again, the two sports have become kind of intertwined, kind of at the tight end position. You see a lot of crossover basketball to football. What specifically about basketball helped make you a very good football player? I would say, like, I played point guard when I played basketball, but, like, a lot of point guards were, like, pass first. But, like, I was more of a slashing guard. It kind of applies to me in football. Like, it's kind of weird when I say it, but, like, it applies to me in football because, like, when I have guys, like, in, you know, man coverage or, like, uh, up on you in press coverage, like, it kind of, you know, relates where, like, you got to make a move on a guy to the rim. Like, that's kind of how I look at it when I'm having releases. I'm just doing kind of, like, basketball moves. So, like, that's how it was easy to learn, peripheral and catch a rhythm. After that, like, 
I just use speed and athleticism as far as like you know rebounding when you jumping for jump balls down the field, and that's really fun because that's you know it just feels easy and natural, and like you know when I got the ball in my hands making moves just kind of so it's like I'm running through the court playing you know point guard so like it just kind of all translates for real. For real. How good of an athlete are you? I mean, are you one of those guys that that's gonna set the world on fire during his pro day? I think I will. I mean, I'm a pretty big receiver. I, I mean, I've been told that I look big at the position, and I look long, and I look, you know, real stocky, but I'm very mobile, and I'm very, like, loose. I do all those type of drills with the team. Like, you know, in all season, I'm always, you know, trying to be dominant and win those drills, and I, I feel like those times when I run them at the pro day are going to be, like, you know, top in the country as far as, like, receivers, and, like, that's just the goals that I set for myself, so, like, yeah, I definitely want to set it on fire, so I felt like I would. What are you? Are you like a four four guy? I mean, you you have like a forty inch vert. For sure. Yeah, for sure. I, um, we do a uh, training with our coach Matt Shadid, and he got this little vertical mat that we use. And the highest I jumped is like thirty nine seven, and that was a couple months ago. And I feel a lot more explosive now, but I definitely am a four four guy for sure. All right, so you're born and raised in Alabama, correct? Born in Louisiana, raised in Alabama, yeah. Okay, let's get that straight. Why did you choose South Alabama coming out of high school? Me and my mom are real connected, and a lot of stuff that we went through during my high school years just made me feel like I needed to stay near her during these years and like, you know, stay connected with her just because I know that she knew me. So, like, that was pretty big on why I chose South Alabama. And also because I just, I just wanted to, you know, make a bigger name for myself in football in this city because I was so known for basketball here. So it was pretty fun to, like, you know, change the sport and be a different figure in the community for football and, you know, just getting credible for that, too. What does it feel like playing in the same city, basically, Mobile, Alabama, that the Senior Bowl is held at? And – were you able to see some of the practices? Because last year it was held at South Alabama football field. Yeah, it, it feels good. Like, I just feel pretty good about it because, like, I just know that, you know, if I am selected to play in that game, Lord willing, I'll, I'll feel real comfortable there. You know, it's just it, it's held at our field, so I just feel real natural out there. Won't be any, you know, reason to be nervous. And I just enjoy seeing all the familiar faces that would be there, you know, the fans that always be at my games anyway. So, like, that would be cool. I did not get to see many practices. I, I watched, I think, one, like, two years ago when it was held at the, at the Lab People Stadium, but I didn't catch one this past year because of all the COVID restrictions and all that. You mentioned that you were born in, in Louisiana but raised in Alabama. Yeah. How is Mardi Gras different? from, say, New Orleans and Mobile, Alabama? I mean, there are a lot of differences, right? A lot of people would like to say, like, Louisiana's Mardi Gras is, like, more turnt, I guess, or, like, more, like, alive and more exciting. But, like, Mobile is pretty exciting, too. Like, and like with the COVID, I didn't get to um, go to it the last year. But when it was here in, I think, 2019, like, it was, it was a lot of people out. And a lot of people come from a lot of different states to come see it in Alabama because they know that it's, it was started here. But, like, it's just like a little Alabama-Arbor action with New Orleans and Mobile's Mardi Gras theme. So you talked a little bit about uh, your athleticism, Jalen. We hear a lot about route running and, and the importance of it, and obviously everybody believes that. I mean, specifically for just the casual fan or even a very interested fan, what are the keys to really being a great route runner? Route running is essential. Like, you know, that's like the first check I give off to every receiver as far as if they're great at their job because, like, you got to be able to run all nine of the routes in a tree fluently and everything has to look the same. So, like, that's, like, the biggest guideline to me is making everything look the same. If you're running a go, it has to look the same way as if you were running a hitch or a corner or a post because, so, you know, if you give any DBs the sign of change in your routes, that's when they can break on it or make plays. and That's what you got to avoid as an offensive player. 
speed and routes is also a, a great indicator of if a guy is a great route runner or not, is the speed in his routes, because that just shows you if he's, you know, confident in his feet and confident in his hips. Well, let's talk about what you bring to the table on and off the football field. What are your main strengths? On the field, first, I always take pride in my, my jump jump ball ability and downfield playability, like just playing the ball in the air and the judgment I have on deep routes. And, like, my second strength I know uh, is my route running. I feel like I run every route in the street on uh, any DB, like press coverage, off coverage. Off the field, I feel like I'm just a real cool guy. You know, all my teammates, you know, I connect with all of them, and I just work out with all of them. I do extra with every one of them. And I just want to see all of them be just as great as I am and better and do better than what I'm doing. I'm just a guy that's bought into the culture here at South Alabama off the field and on the field. What do you think is the most important characteristic for a successful wide receiver? To me, the top of characteristic for successful receivers is probably like poise because, like, there's so much stuff that happens in a game to receivers and, like, so many, you know, opportunities and things to go wrong. You can get triple covered. You can get double covered. You get trapped. You know what I'm saying? You can have a DB that's playing outside all game and not letting you get deep routes. And if you just remain poised the whole game and just, you know, always seek that opportunity to make that one play that matters, that's the art of receiver to me is being able to make that play because that's going to change the game and always ready for that. Being ready for that moment is definitely like the top characteristic for a receiver to me. You have an uncle Reggie that played a little football in his day. How's he influenced your game? Uh, he's influenced it a lot. He's given me a lot of workouts and a lot of, you know, nutrition things that I've added to my daily life that I use every day. And he's just, he's just a constant voice in my ear that, you know, just keeps me right and just gives me good information on stuff that I want to know about. And like, like another father figure for for a, in a you know a role model just because I, I definitely want to be a guy that's set a tone like he has in the NFL. Reggie Wayne won a Super Bowl with the Colts. Did you ever have a chance to attend it as a kid? Nah, when I when when I was a kid, I was eight years old when when uh, that game was going on, and I remember I was living in Florida then, right before he moved here to Alabama, and my dad had walked in the room while I was watching it, and I had seen him. And I didn't even know he was my uncle. Like, I didn't even know who he was before then. And my dad walked in. He had uh, showed me the jersey when he scored that little post route to, like, seal the game. And when I saw him score that touchdown, that's when my dad had told me that that, that's who my uncle was. And I, I just remember, like, my mind was blown. Like, I didn't even believe it. What a great day that was, huh? Yeah. You mentioned your relationship with your mom earlier, Jalen, and I think in a previous interview you'd said your mom is your hero. Can you maybe give us some examples of what kind of makes her special or what that bond is between you two? Well, like, first off, like, the biggest example to me is, like, me and my mom were kind of, like, hopping around from home to home when I was in ninth to tenth grade. Right around the time I had stopped playing football, to be honest, and, like, it was a, uh, it was pretty hard times, you know. I mean, stuff wasn't always the best, and like we wasn't in a house of our own, but like my mom was just always there to keep security and just like pushing me and keeping me passionate because like I just saw the way that she hustled and like how she made things happen even when they didn't seem like it could be happening. And then like I just applied that stuff to myself, and I just feel like that's what drive me and gave me the addictive mentality that I have. That's why she just became my hero because, like, we made it out of that type of situation. And to see how she's living now and to see how I, like, you know, come up for real, like, it's just, like, a blessing. And that's why I've always just called her my hero because she's always talking to me every day, making sure my head's still on straight. Even with all the, you know, football going on and school going on, she just makes sure I'm always, you know, taking care of myself and taking care of what I got to do. And, like, that's just what, like, what every – athlete once in their life is like a mom like that i just feel like blessed to really have her is your mom always there during those home games oh yeah for sure she got um she gets like a little like vip spot she works with the army on tc and like every time we score a touchdown or something 
her little group over there does like seven push-ups. It's kind of cool. Jalen, who who's your favorite wide receiver in the NFL right now, and why? Stephon Diggs. I've kind of imitated his route running since I started playing football for real, for real. He was just kind of the receiver I gravitated to as far as style, because like he just looks like he's playing basketball on the field a lot of times. And he's not the biggest receiver. But, like, I just like how he's just so fluid in every route and, like, everything always looks the same. A lot of the way he looks at the game is how I try to look at the game as well. And he, he, I just think he's just a top guy in the league for real. There's another wide receiver named Jalen on your team, Jalen Tolbert. How do you guys complement each other on the field? Uh, me and Jalen have a very similar playing style. Like, we both like to play down the field, so, like, I think we just get each other kind of like, you know, motivated and get our adrenaline pumping wounds and we see each other make a big play. And, you know, off the field, like we just kind of, you know, we're about our business and we just do what we got to do to get better. And we just, you know, lead these young guys that we have in our room the best way that we can and just try to show them the same way that we got great at what we do. So, like, that's just the biggest compliment we have on each other is just being like a double-edged sword type of thing. South Alabama is slowly becoming wide receiver you. You guys had Kawan Baker yeah, last sure. year. So in this year, Jalen Tolbert and you, you guys have a, a pretty good core at wide receiver there. Yeah, we got some young guys that are going to be just like this for sure. All right, give me a couple of young guys out there that not many people know about. Uh, we got a few young receivers right now. Uh, Colin Lacey, he played a few like a few games, he played punt return with me last season. We got a couple of uh, freshmen that got redshirted: Christian Wortham, Keyshawn Woodyear. They were big time receivers in their areas in high school. Nathan Dickerson, a big time six-three receiver out of Georgia, like definitely got a good recruiting class in the receiver room this past season for sure. Like they did that thing with that to keep the little wide receiver youth thing going on. Let's talk about the the new coaching staff that came in, uh, Coach Womack, Coach Applewhite. What has the new coaching staff brought to the football program, and what changes have uh, you seen so far? Well, first thing I, I can say he's definitely brought to the team is bringing unity, just making us all work together. And he just started that at the foundation, started that like at, in January when he got here. And as far as, like, football goes, like, I just feel like we're a way more grittier team, and we just work a lot smarter than we have been. And I just feel like it's a lot more advanced, really. Like, we get um, Coach Applewhite from Alabama, so he, he's got a whole different, like, a whole different, like, mindset as far as football. I definitely like listening to him talk and listening to him coaches. He knows a lot about football. And uh, Womack, like, uh, he's real defensive. I mean, he's young, but, like, he's more, like, like he, he, he gets excited. Like, I've scored a couple touchdowns in practice, and I caught him running behind me, like, to celebrate and all that. So he's one of the coolest coaches I've been around. So the, the new coaching staff definitely brings that passion to the football field. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, you can feel it. The energy is definitely different. What can we expect from the Jaguars this fall, Jalen? Well, I just think, like, if we just continue to do what we have been doing and just continue to cook cook up what's been going on in the field house now, I just feel like everything's going to take care of itself. We've been kind of taking this little vow to not really talk about what we got, you know, going on and, like, what's to expect this season. We've been just trying to go at it with our heads down. So I would just really just say that y'all got to check us out for real. Like, this, I mean, September 4th is coming up. No spoilers? No, no spoilers for us. What would make this a successful as, season for you? Can you talk about that? As far as for me, I mean, I've been working my tail off since the off season started. I've been changing myself even even more that I've made changes for last season. I just feel like way more fluid, way more confident in my game. And I'm just, you know, trying to be more dominant, trying to, you know, be a better receiver, go get more touchdowns, go get more catches, make more plays for the team, make more wins. And just doing my job, really. Who is that team that you're going to face that opening weekend on September 4th? Uh, Southern Miss. Can we expect like a high-powered type of offense this year from South Alabama? For sure. And you're going to expect explosion for sure. 
let's get to know you a little bit off the field. What do you think makes you a unique individual? What do you think sets you apart from the rest? I mean, I'm not very, you know, like extroverted. I don't really hang around a lot of people. I got a dog and another dog that we were talking about earlier, but I usually just hang around with them and just take them on walks and, you know, just chill out in some random little trails that'll be around the city. I just kind of do that type of stuff, ride my bike, go on hikes, stuff like that. I like to be in nature for for when I'm not doing football stuff. Well, there's a distinct possibility that you're a Cape Crusader fan. I'm looking at your Twitter handle is Six God Batman, and your IG is for <laughs> for Master Wayne. I don't think I'm going out on a limb here. Who's your favorite Batman? I was just talking to my friends about it. Uh, it's definitely Bale because. We were having a debate about that the other day, but it's definitely Christian Bale because I feel like, like Ben Affleck, like he's more like the older version of Batman, like after his prime, like he's more of the setup guy. He doesn't really do all the fighting. I mean, he did when he killed Superman, but I just think Bale is because like those three three movies with Heath Ledger, like those are so just like legendary to me, and like the scenes in it are just like in, uncomparable with any other movies and it'll just always be that way to me did you even watch like michael keaton in batman or george clooney oh yeah for sure yeah i watched clooney and all of them like, i watched all of them but like those are just so old my dad used to watch them i, I grew up <laughs> on those but like christian bell just kind of took it over for me when he came out with the one in 08 with dark man on uh, dark knight rises well, that's definitely a classic. Like I said, Christian Bale definitely took yeah, Batman. Yeah, they're definitely classics. So. Yeah, Christian Bale definitely took Batman to another level. All right, Jalen, you want to repeat those uh, social media handles so uh, people can check out your stuff? Uh, yes, sir. Um, it's Six God Batman on Twitter, and it's Four Master Wayne on Instagram. All right, very good. We appreciate your time. Good luck this season. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for sure. I appreciate y'all letting me know. Let's get into fantasy football now, Alex. I know it's not your favorite thing, but uh, we're going to talk about it anyway. So first off, how you doing? What's going on? I'm doing well. Uh, I, I thought I was the king of fantasy uh, before last year came around. But last year, it kind of limped into the playoffs. I didn't have a good year. I had a few teams. But it's just my confidence has been shaken a little bit in terms of my fantasy football knowledge and in terms of being this fantasy football genius. And that's why I'm a little bit skeptical <laughs> about talking about it. It was just a little it was just a little jab. I know you still you still dabble and so do I. I've done it for many years and again, I mean neither of us are experts here, but we'll we'll give our input, talk about some of the top fives at each of the offensive positions, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. We'll leave it to you all out there to come up with kickers and defense special teams or uh, individual defensive players if you like playing in those leagues. But, uh, of course, we're going to start with the quarterbacks. And I guess just real brief, last week we got into a little bit. Uh, Alex kind of came off the rails there, not including some of the top quarterbacks in his triplets. But I digress. Uh, I think we've all recovered from that. And let's see what, what what Alex comes up with. First off, you can't go against the guy. I mean, you know, Patrick Mahomes, he may not put up the most points, but to not put him at the top would be ridiculous. The biggest thing with the top five here is obviously the situation with A-Rod, Aaron Rodgers. And I guess Alex will think this is my sneaky way of getting some Aaron Rodgers talk into the conversation, onto the show. But uh, you got to do it. I mean, at this point, what do you do? Where do you have him, Alex? How, how are you playing this from a fantasy football perspective? Look, if I'm having the draft tomorrow, I'm not having A-Rod in my top five as far as quarterbacks are concerned. Because I don't know where he's going to be. I don't know whether he's going to play. I don't know whether he's going to retire. Right now, it's too much of, of a gamble. But once we get to training camp and the situation is settled, whether he reports or not, or maybe the Packers will trade him somewhere. So to me, right now, as we speak here in the middle of July, I don't have Aaron Rodgers in my top five as quarterbacks. I don't think he'll drop out of the top 10, but it's not a guy that I would draft for my fantasy team this year. 
It's really hard to do. Uh, really hard to go into the draft not knowing where he's going to be and that, and actually just take him, roll the dice. Now, typically, depending on the rules of your league, you're going to wait on quarterback anyway. It is kind of, you know, it is a, a very deep position as far as fantasy points are concerned. So you want to kind of fill your roster with, you know, the best running backs, wide receivers, as many as possible. You know, maybe throw in uh, Kelsey into that mix as well. Again, if you really like Waller and Kittle, you do. But I think Kelsey, you have to almost count him as another wide receiver just because of his production and how consistent he's been. It's really hard to throw A-Rod in there. If he's playing, I would have him number two. If he's not, I've got Josh Allen at number two. I've got Kyler three. I've got Dak four. I've got Lamar five. Typically, those guys like Kyler and Lamar, the guys that they're going to get rushing yards, Josh Allen, rushing touchdowns, you got to push them up the list. So uh, that's where I'm at with those guys. Mahomes, Allen, uh, Murray, Prescott, and then um, Lamar coming up at, at fifth without A-Rod and, of course, Deshaun Watson, which we haven't mentioned. But uh, A-Rod, I don't think they're going to trade him at least not this year. He may or may not play for them, but I don't think they trade him until uh, like next draft time because it's just it's just too risky to trade him to a team and then all of a sudden uh, they do really well and those draft picks aren't nearly as... Uh, as valuable to uh, to Green Bay, but that that's where I'm at with those quarterbacks. Got a couple sleepers I'll, I'll touch on here after Alex gives you the rest of his. So my top five is almost the same. There's only one difference. I don't have Lamar in my top five. I've got Russell Wilson at five, and you know I would. I mean, with with Wilson, that's my boy. With his situation at wide receiver, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, smart. To have him in there, I think he's still a top five quarterback, a top five fantasy quarterback as it is. I don't think Lamar is as polished of a passer, and I just think Russell Wilson is a guy that can consistently get you like 300 passing yards each game, and and that's what I've got. My sleepers, I mean, they don't include like Daniel Jones. I'm I'm sure that Lou is going to go there with Daniel Jones. I've got that feeling. Um, There's a surprise coming. Oh, really? I mean, there's, oh, yeah. it's got to be a rookie or something like that. You are, you are. <laughs> I think you might come out of your skin. Wow! All right, I'm, I'm listening. I'm gonna, I'm gonna listen very, very carefully. It's hard to leave Russell out of your top five, but you have to have five, right? Yeah, I mean, he could easily be the top-rated quarterback. You know, when it comes to fantasy points, at some point. So, but you know, I just left him out. The rushing yards and the rushing touchdowns make a huge difference. So that that was my separator there. You know, usually guys, like, in their second year have slumps, and they do. I mean, it's called sophomore slump. But I think two guys that are going into their second year, Joe Burrow from the Bengals and Justin Herbert from the Chargers, I think it's a good bet. I just think these guys, they're in a perfect situation. They've got a lot of weapons around them. Herbert putting up and winning Offensive Rookie of the Year last year and putting up all those numbers – I'm sure Joe Burrow is motivated. He's got an extra weapon in Jamar Chase this year, and he still has T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. He's got Joe Mixon. So, I mean, you can't go wrong with those second-year quarterbacks, and I don't think they will experience the, the sophomore slump. Well, Herbert, I would certainly have him in my top 10, probably closer to 5 than 10. As far as Burrow's concerned, I think maybe like on the edge, the team isn't quite as good as the Chargers, so I would he would be like approaching that top 10 but the two sleepers that I have and and first one I'm going to say Trey Lance is going to get on the field and when I say sleeper at quarterback this is a chance to get into the top 15 or the top 12 depending on how many teams are in your league I mean you can only have one starter Lance very I would say he's the deep sleeper but the sleeper that I'm going to give you again this is going to send shock waves over to Alex's earphones is Jalen Hurts. I think he has a real shot to land in the top 12 because of his running style, because of the the new weapons that they've given him, just a new attitude in the building. Not that they're going to win a ton of games. They're probably going to be behind in a lot of games. So he's going to get a lot more throws. But also that just that threat of the run and the ability to get yards 
running the ball, and he's a big dude, probably going to get some carries around the goal line. So that's going to be my sleeper to potentially get in the top 12. That's ridiculous, Lou. <laughs> I knew it. That's ridiculous. not why I did it, but I knew you were going to go there. I mean, Chris Sims doesn't even have Jalen Hurts in his top 40 quarterbacks. And, and you know Jalen Hurts. Fantasy football. This is fantasy football. He know, does not have to win they, games. They go hand in hand a little bit. Not necessarily. No, really... no. Nah, nah, not always. Top 12 quarterback. Are you kidding me? Again, this guy can't This is throw. a sleeper. He has a chance. That guy wasn't accurate in college. And the Oklahoma Sooners offense, I mean, it really aided him. He wasn't accurate in college, and you expect him to what? All of a sudden become Superman or something? I no, mean, he doesn't. He doesn't have to be Superman. I don't he think just the has Eagles to are score very good, fantasy points. They are not, but they're going to score points, even if they're losing games. Again, it's just the touches, attempts, opportunities. It's a sleeper. I would much rather go with somebody like Sam Darnold as my number two quarterback because I know I can get him late. And maybe he's going to, like, fill in, you know, for a guy that I get early on. Maybe, like, a Russell Wilson or a Dak Prescott. Sam Darnold is the guy that I would bet on just because, again, the weapons are there. And I think the system fits him best. And maybe he doesn't have the running that Jalen Hurts has. But I think he's consistently going to get, you know, 250-plus yards and a couple of touchdowns easily. But that's me, you know, being a believer in, in Sam Darnold. I like Sam Darnold too, but again, that's I'm sticking with my sleeper, sticking with my guns. Jalen Hurts, baby, you heard it here first. All right, how about okay. running backs, Lou? I mean, let's I, go. I'm, let's I'm sure go. you don't have any surprises there. I'm I'm sure everyone in this world has <laughs> Christian McCaffrey as the number one player on their board. I don't know about number one player, but he's certainly number one running back that I have, you know, without question. I mean, he's the the dual threat. I mean, he could easily, you know, over a thousand rushing, can get over a thousand receiving. Uh, if If you're in a PPR league, he elevates even higher because of the number of receptions that he gets. Certainly C Mac at the top. These there's a very fine line between most of these. Okay, so if you're if you tier your lists, uh, this first tier of running backs can really go beyond the top five enough of the qualifiers so i got my second guy is dalvin cook my third guy is derrick henry my fourth guy is alvin kamara and my fifth guy this one was really close because i love nick chubb so in standard leagues i would might have nick chubb here just because he doesn't get all the receptions in a ppr league i'd probably go with saquon barkley and just betting on the fact that one he's going to get a lot of a lot of touches let's put it that way the offensive line isn't great but it's good enough for him to prosper. They've got more weapons that they teams really have to account for. So, And if Daniel Jones does play better, which I think we're in agreement there, that there is a chance he's going to, I think Saquon's going to have a big year. So that's kind of my top six, let's put it that way, five or six, depending on the type of league that you're in. All right, for me, it's uh, McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, I will go Nick Chubb at number four, and I'll go Derrick Henry at five. Although, Derrick Henry at five is really tough for me. Like, really, really tough, because I think he is destined to become a bust this year. I just don't think that a guy can you to carry the ball 350-plus times and not have, you know, the wear and tear on your body. I think Henry is going to take a huge, huge step back and I'm putting him in the top five. I have the respect for him and what he has done the past couple of years. But if I had the choice to pick Henry in the first round, I would pass. I would go with another position. And I would take maybe like Jonathan Taylor or Saquon Barkley at the end of the first round. Or at the early second round, possibly. And th- those guys I would be on board with. But Nick Chubb is definitely in my top five. I realize what you're saying. He's not going to get... You know, the the receptions that, you know, even Jonathan Taylor or Saquon Barkley will get or Dalvin Cook or Alvin Kamara. But I got to put him there. I think Chubb is going to be the driving force for the Cleveland Browns in general, and, and they'll ride him this year. I love Nick Chubb. I mean, I have uh, a partial keeper league that I play in, and he's been my number one back 
Now, it is standard scoring. The, the tough thing to watch, though, is you know, every team has kind of somewhat of a running back by committee. Nobody except for somebody like Tennessee where Derrick Henry gets the ball just about every, every play. But to watch Kareem Hunt come in, and especially being a Chiefs fan, it really pains me to when he like he steals some of Chubb's touchdowns or reception here or there. Kareem Hunt's a great player, great receiver, the whole thing. You got to give him the ball, but it's just it's just hard to watch. So in a PPR league, I would certainly move Kamara up to like second or third. Uh, Saquon maybe up to fourth. At fifth, I might. If you're of a mind and you believe uh, the reports that uh, Zeke has taken his off season much more uh, seriously, that he's in shape, that uh, Dak is back, that perhaps Zeke could be one of those guys. Because again, he is a great receiver out of the backfield. That he could sneak into that top five in a PPR league. I worry about Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, it's he it's hasn't a tough one. Us- he hasn't yeah. shown us anything for the last couple of years, and that's just that would be a huge gamble because I've seen Ezekiel Elliott being projected in the first round, and that's that's a little too rich for me. I'm not saying he's going to go top five, but he's going like top ten, top twelve. That's too rich for me. I would much rather take somebody like Saquon Barkley or Jonathan Taylor. I think Jonathan Taylor is going to have a huge year because he turned the corner last year, like week 12, and just carried the Colts offense. And I think he's going to do the same in year two, and he's going to be even better. Yeah, and Taylor, I would certainly have him in the top 10 either way, either type of league. I I know you're not a big fan of Aaron Jones, but I would certainly have him in the top 10. Again, any, any type of scoring system. As far as sleepers go, now, now the first guy I think might have a chance to get into the top 10. Second one, maybe top 20, but I'm saying that at first would be Cam Akers from, from the Rams. Second would be J.K. Dobbins from the, the Ravens, just because you know the affinity for them running the ball. Just his second year in the offense, I think he's going to kind of come into his own and and put up some serious numbers. And Acres, I mean, this is it. I mean, they, they they brought in Stafford. Acres is their guy now at running back. He's on the stage. He's going to get every opportunity. I think he has a chance to maybe come in and, and be like a top ten or twelve back. Well, Cam Acres is everyone's favorite right now because I mean, we saw how he finished the season, and so a lot of people are connecting the dots. That he's going to be the featured guy. Sean McVay still loves to split those carries. Like he had Todd Gurley, but I think he learned his lesson. They do you don't overfeed the bell cow, and so he always splits those carries. That's the only thing that I worry about. So I'm going to go with a couple of rookies because with running backs, I'm all about rookies, and I'm looking at like offensive lines that can be good enough. So Najee Harris is definitely out. I mean Ed Hunt is smiling somewhere out there because I'm not <laughs> No, he's not smiling. <laughs> no, he is because he knows that Steelers offensive it's a, line is poor, you know. It's he, a he wry knows. smile because I'm sure he's very high on Najee as you talk about the people that are high on Acres. I, I think the Najee Harris hype is is off the rails right now. It's out of control as far as I'm concerned. Look, I'm looking at the Denver Broncos and the Denver Broncos have developed a very good offensive line. And Melvin Gordon is always dinged up. He's never healthy. And I think the Denver Broncos would want to ride the rookie running back out of UNC. So Javante Williams would be a really nice selection somewhere in the later rounds. I just think that would be my sleeper, like sleeper, sleeper. Because this guy is a good receiver coming out of the backfield. He's definitely going to get over 1,000 yards. And I just, I don't trust Melvin Gordon. He might ride the pine in the beginning, like during the first month of the season, because they'll give Melvin Gordon every chance and every possibility. But I think Javante Williams is going to explode somewhere like in October. And another guy is Michael Carter. So if you're looking for a cheaper option than Travis Etienne, because Travis Etienne is going to be a favorite for a lot of people, because Urban Meyer likes to throw to his backs and ETN was a late first round pick. So a lot of people are saying, ooh, ETN and Lawrence, they're going to have a great year. So if you don't want to overpay for Travis ETN early, go with Michael Carter like around rounds 10 or 11 because Michael Carter is going to be the feature back. He's going to be given every opportunity, especially on third downs. The Jets don't have a running game. 
They fixed their offensive line. They don't have any running backs behind him. He doesn't have to worry about it. He's an excellent receiver coming out of the backfield. And you know Zach Wilson is going to be looking for him often in that offense. Just, you know, try to get the ball out quickly. So Michael Carter for the Jets and Javante Williams for the Denver Broncos. Keep an eye on those two dudes as far as, you know, fantasy running backs. A couple of just sleeper names to throw. And again, I guess not necessarily sleepers, but in PPR, the Antonio Gibson, I love him. Again, I think he has a chance to be a top 20 back, again, in a PPR league because he's going to get a lot more receptions uh, in, in that offense. Mike Davis is a name that he's always been productive whenever he's had an opportunity. Now he's the guy. So this that's the only thing that kind of might give me a little bit of pause. He, he'll, he will be the guy in Atlanta. So uh, let's see what he can do with that. But I would say he would be a sleeper in, in PPR leagues as well. Let's look at the wide receiver position. And, and again, you got so many guys to, to choose from. So many different ways you can go. But, you know, in standard leagues, again, I can't go against Tyree Kill right at the top. You know, he's going to get the deep balls. He's going to get yardage. Again, PPR, I might knock him down a little bit because he doesn't get nearly as many receptions as a uh, Stephon Diggs or Devontae Adams, which I would put right behind him in the standard league. Hopkins, I would certainly have him in my top five. Calvin Ridley's probably going to put up some huge numbers this year for Atlanta. And the only thing is, in a, in a PPR, like I said, I would go with, with Diggs at the top just because of the number of receptions he's going to have. Devontae Adams second, and then Hill third. Those would be my guys as far as wide receivers go. No Justin Jefferson in the top five? I did not mention his name, Alex. No. No, I just, I'm curious for that. I would actually take Justin Jefferson over Calvin Ridley just because I'm worried about Ridley. Ridley was the number two wide receiver. Julio was drawing those, you know, number one corners. I think he's going to be a huge disappointment. Like, there's some guys that are just destined to be really good number two wide receivers, but they're not destined to be the go-to guy. And I think Pitts is going to take away those touchdowns in the red zone, the the rookie tight end. I'm really down on Calvin Ridley. Like, I'm sorry to say this, but... I hear you. And that, yeah, I mean, you never... You see it in in, uh, free agency all the time is when these number two receivers get paid money to go somewhere else and be a number one. And, you know, rarely does it work out. Being in the the same team, different offense. Yes, now you do have Pitts. Yeah, it could go that way. I just, I just feel comfortable. I'd like Calvin Ridley. Can't like him coming out. Like him, you know, just his game as long as he's healthy. You know, putting up numbers. Let's see what he does without Julio. But yeah, that's certainly that's certainly a concern. You said Justin Jefferson. I mean, he's just on the edge. DK Metcalf. You can certainly make you know an argument for him. AJ Brown, Keenan Allen, Michael Thomas. I mean, obviously Thomas gets knocked down because Breeze is gone. Yeah, there's a bunch of guys that can certainly contend for that that top five slot. I think Michael Thomas could be a bargain, especially in like PPR leagues, because he's going to get a lot of receptions. doesn't matter who his quarterback is going to be. His touchdown numbers could suffer, but he's still going to get a lot of targets. He's still going to get, you know, over 100 yards almost every game just because they target him so, so much. I think CeeDee Lamb, keep an eye on him. I think he's ready to overtake Amari Cooper as the number one receiver in this offense, because him and Dak had a real connection before Prescott went down. And I just have a feeling that CeeDee Lamb might even outplay somebody like Justin Jefferson this year. I'm really high on him. I'm a little bit down on like Julio Jones and A.G. Brown, and not because of the players that they are, but it's just the Titans are still going to be a running offense. And it's tough because those guys aren't going to get the targets that you would usually get in like another, you know, if you're playing for another team. So... Be very careful as far as like A.J. Brown and Julio Jones because now you have two guys and you have to split them. And again, they're still going to be focusing on running the football. If we're talking about those guys getting drafted somewhere on like day two, I would stay away from them. Well, my sleeper in this gang, and this can be, you know, somebody that can creep into the top 20. Been high on this kid, you know, since he came out of Arizona State. I'm going to go with Brandon Ayu uh, from San Francisco. Again, there's so many talented wide receivers, and it was hard to just kind of pick one guy. But uh, that's what I'm going to go with. I think he has a chance to be a top 20 wide receiver. 
I think OBJ is is going to resurrect himself this year. OBJ is not going to be picked really high, but if you can get him somewhere, maybe like fourth, fifth round, I'm on board with that. I'm not saying he's a sleeper, but I just think he's ready to kind of just explode. That would be my guy that I would be like, that I would be targeting. But the two sleepers, like guys that are going to go a little bit lower, I would say Michael Pittman for the Colts, just because I think he's going to be Carson Wentz's favorite target. And then I would say Devontae Smith. So if we're talking about Jalen Hurts possibly having success, you know he's going to look for his former teammate, Devontae Smith, a guy that you can move around. He's going to get a lot of targets working from the slot, and he will become the Eagles' primary receiver. Devontae Smith, keep an eye on him. He's going to get a lot of targets, a lot of receptions, and in PPR leagues, I think he would be a smart find somewhere in the in the later rounds. So those, those would be my, my two sleepers. I love Michael Pittman. I, I really do. I agree, I totally agree with you there. He's got a shot. Uh, some other rookie wide receivers. Uh, I think Jamar Chase. I, I think that's going to be the one that's going to be a lot of debate. I mean, you're going to either. I think there's two camps. You either love him, so you think, hey, this guy can be top twenty playing with Joe Burrow, and then you're going to have another camp that says, nah, they're not going to be able to recreate this. The Bengals aren't that good. You know, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. You know, it's just not going not going to be as prolific as we think it's going to be they can't just recreate LSU but I I'm convinced he has a chance to be in the top 20 and then you mentioned Devontae Smith but also you know Elijah Moore with the Jets Waddle with Miami you know Rashad Bateman with Baltimore I'd say these guys are going to land probably somewhere in the 40s and 50s in in terms of all wide receivers yeah they have a chance but I don't know that any of them are going to put up significant enough numbers for you to make them a starter on your team. I mean, unless I mean, if you go three deep, maybe, uh, depending on your league. But if you're just able to start two, yeah, those guys I think are going to be on the outside. And of course, tight end. You mentioned Pitts. This guy, I mean, can <laughs> I mean he can just immediately become a monster. Right, or he's going to draw so much attention that that Ridley's going to going to prosper. So, which way is it going to go, Alex? You you mentioned Pitts. You like him. Is he going to help Ridley, or is he is Ridley going to take pressure off of him? They're going to hurt each other because Pitts is going to be Matt Ryan's favorite target in the red zone, no questions asked. And Ridley has never been a big touchdown guy, never has, and it never will be. So it's going to be Kyle Pitts every time in the red zone, and that will hurt Calvin Ridley's numbers because touchdowns matter. Another guy I want to mention really quickly, I mean, you mentioned rookie wide receivers, and before we step away from the wide receivers completely and return to the tight ends, I would say Amon Ross St. Brown. Like, Amon Ross St. Brown is just in a perfect situation with the Lions because the Lions want to run the football, but they don't have anyone at wide receiver. So I think Amon Ross St. Brown, the slot receiver, he can line up outside. He's going to get a lot of targets from Jared Goff. So I would say put your money on him. That would be like your your last round pick. Keep an eye on and take him because I don't think you're going to be disappointed. I, I think he could be a very solid number three wide receiver for you, and, and that would be a steal as far as I'm concerned in the last round. Yeah, I mean, well, a wide receiver from Detroit, he's not going to go very high, but he can certainly surprise, depending on, you know, again, how much you like uh, Jared Goff in that, that quarterback situation there. But you got to believe he's going to be playing with a big chip on his shoulder, looking to prove everybody wrong in L.A. As far as tight ends are concerned, do you think that Kelsey, Waller, and Kittle will be, like, all first-round picks? No? No. I mean, I, I think... Kelsey has a chance, but that's that's a tough deal. Some leagues don't just have pass catchers, right? They don't make you have a, a tight end, but then some leagues do have, you know, you have to have a tight end. So it's just tough to grab somebody like that in the first round. There's got to be, you know, running backs, other wide receivers. Kelsey's close to that group. Waller and Kittle I just myself, my own personal opinion would be I would wait on tight end a little bit unless, of course, you know, you've got your other positions you, you feel comfortable with. Kelsey, I wouldn't be afraid to draft 
I don't know if I would go in the first round. Second round for sure. First round, that would be a tough one. But, you know, Kittle and Waller, yeah, I think they're going to put up numbers, but not to that degree. So I would say those guys maybe, you know, further down. You know, you got Hawkinson there. You got Mark Andrews. There are some other options, not a lot of great ones after those guys. But, you know, if you have to get a tight end, if that's one of your positions in your league, then certainly you would push those guys up a little bit. I don't know. As far as, like, you know, guys maybe that are ready to, like, break out, I think TJ Hawkinson showed glimpses of it last year. And I think maybe he's ready to take that next step this year in year three. And I also think, like, Dallas Goddard from the Eagles, because he's going to be the main tight end there. I don't know what happens with Ertz, but I just don't see him coming back. Maybe he's going to be that cap casualty in training camp. And then, like, sleeper sleeper for me is a guy like Adam Troutman from the Saints. Um, He was a rookie last year. He's in his second year. A lot of people seem to be high on him, and, you know, he came on at the end of the season. So I think Troutman is going to get more targets in the Saints offense. Sleeper wise, and again, he you know he came he came on. He had like a, a really hot stretch during the course of the year with the Rams and Tyler Higby. I think that whole offense, as far as pass receiving, is going to be elevated by Matthew Stafford. I'm just in that camp that thinks that Stafford is gonna is gonna have his best season. I, I don't think there's any question about it, and it's really going to elevate the Rams. So I mean, he has a chance you know chance to be a top ten tight end okay we're not going to go crazy here and throw him into the top five yeah I agree with Goddard I don't know what's you know again no one knows what's happening with with Ertz Uh, is there a deal to be made there are they going to keep him around that's going to be kind of an uncomfortable situation what do you think about the guys in New England you know, again, now you got two guys, which you know, that's hard. You know, which one, you know, which one is going to get the targets? Which one's going to be the blocker? I mean, they're both, you know, receiving tight ends. You know, for my money. Yeah, you just don't know like which guy to to roll with, and and plus, I mean, you don't know if Cam Newton is going to be the quarterback. I mean, those tight ends are going to be in trouble. If Mac Jones is is going to take the reins, then maybe you know he will be more tight end friendly. I just think too many question marks for the Patriots as far as I'm concerned that I would roll with somebody like Goddard or Troutman as my second tight end. Are you one of those guys that takes a second tight end in fantasy drafts? No, I I play in two leagues. One has a specific position for tight end and one does not. So basically if you draft tight end you just start him at, you know, as a as a receiver. Even in that league I rarely would even take a tight end because just you know you get so much more value out of the wide receivers unless it's one of the top 3 or 4, right? You know, one of those guys can be your number 2 or 3 or 4 receiver again depending on your rules. So, no, I typically wouldn't. We'll touch a little bit more on fantasy as we get closer to the season because there are a lot of question marks. So we just kind of wanted to give you, uh, you know, if your drafts are coming up, some taste of what we're thinking and how we see the premium positions, if you would. I know we didn't talk about rookie quarterbacks, but really outside of Trevor Lawrence, I think it's a roll of the dice. You don't know who's going to play. Uh, and Lawrence, maybe and maybe he has a chance to be a top 20 quarterback as a rookie. We'll see. But, uh, yes, the Euros, Italia, Italia. They got it done, Alex. What did you think of the game? I mean, I, I wanted to get your perspective because, you know, you're a little bit more into you know that version of football uh, than I am. I do dabble a bit. And, you know, being Italy, I had to root for them, and they got it done. It was boring as hell, Lou. The game. I mean, look, soccer is about strategy. You know, you're not looking. We we were spoiled during these uh, this Euro that we were seeing games that went like five three, four nothing. I mean, usually soccer is like one to nothing, one one. Then you go into penalty kicks. But it's amazing that England scored so quickly. You know, it was second minute overall, and then they just kind of backed up, like they didn't attack. They didn't do anything. What did they expect? I mean, were they going to just defend for 90 minutes? I don't think they had another shot on goal during regular time 
except for that goal that occurred on the second minute, um, and everybody was shell-shocked a little bit. Italy changed its game plan in the second half, and that seemed to work. And England didn't make those adjustments. And that's the reason why Italy scored, I mean, when, when they did in the second half. And then what's amazing to me is I think Mancini, who was the head coach of the Italians, he made a few more key substitutions. Guys that came in and actually scored penalty kicks. Southgate, I mean, with all due respect, he led England to the final. He pushed the right buttons. You know, they did something that they haven't done in like, you know, 55 years to be in a, in a Euro final. But they were at home. He made two changes. He put Rashford and he put Sancho. Two guys that were supposed to be those penalty kick guys. But why didn't he like insert them earlier? Like maybe 10 minutes before. Kind of let them warm up. I mean, you want to get in the game a little bit. They were cold as hell. I mean, he changed them like a couple of minutes right before penalty kicks. And they weren't used to it. And they missed it. I mean, the last three guys that came up. They missed those penalty kicks, and I commend the Italians, and the goalie is the real MVP for the Italians, as far as I'm concerned. Well, he was, you know, voted player of the tournament, and I think they had to. I don't know that anybody else on the team, I mean, you could have made, uh, I guess, a case for Chiesa, maybe Jorginho, but again, it was very, you know, they didn't have a dominant player other than the goalkeeper, which you know, ultimately turned out to be the player of that match too in in the penalty kicks. But it seemed like early on that the Italians were almost caught off guard by by either the style, the formation that that England was playing. And even besides just the goal, I mean, just the first 20 minutes, it just seemed like there was space everywhere. And typically the Italian defense that you don't see that much space, you know, they kind of righted the ship they didn't score, but it seemed like then all of a sudden they just start dominating possession. And like you said, England, it was almost like they shocked themselves with the goal. Oh my gosh, we have the lead, but there's so much time to play. And yeah, they did kind of retreat. And then eventually, you know, Italy got the goal. But in the penalty kicks, though, it seems that even the order of the guys taking the shots, it's, you know, to have... I don't know how old was the kid the, the kid that went last he's like 19 years old his first I think international you know like major tournament and basically it's in his hands to keep the match going it just seemed a little odd when they do penalty kicks coaches have different strategies and sure. Southgate's strategy was to put a couple of experienced players in the beginning and you put Kane first Harry Kane and he went and he confidently you know struck it into the corner and then obviously he went with the younger guys some coaches they go with inexperienced players in the beginning and then let the experienced players at the end at like three four and five but it's just it seemed like after that Rashford miss where he fooled the goalie but he be, but hit the he post got too yeah. cute. he got too cute then he yeah. hit the post and after that, it just seemed like it, it spiraled after that. Because before that, England looked confident, you know, with Maguire, with Kane. And they, they looked like they were destined to hold up that trophy. But Donnarumma is just, you know, the goalie, the goalkeeper for the Italians. Again, uh, guessing right and uh, making a couple of key saves out there. I thought Kane played his best game of the tournament. Uh, that's at least from my perspective. Is the games that I watched. I mean, he looked like he was every bit, you know, the the top player out there. Every ball he played seemed to be perfect and led to chances. Uh, but he just didn't, you know, he, he wasn't getting that much action. But of course, he buries the kick and uh, Jorginho, who was so cute against Spain in the penalty kicks and it just made it look like he was out in his backyard, tried the same thing and looked like an idiot at that time. So, so you know, when it comes to penalty kicks, you got to get a little lucky, obviously, and the Italians did, but we'll take it. Italia, that's right. So World Cup next year in uh, Qatar. Supposedly it's in the wintertime because it's way too hot in the summer. So we'll, we'll see what happens then. Congratulations, Lou. Huge win. I appreciate it. I just hope they. I hope they can make a run in the World Cup. You know, maybe they, they get some other get some other guys. I guess a reliable goal scorer. You know, if they can get that guy in the middle, then you know that team's going to be really tough to beat. Individually, if you look at like 
each and every player, whether it was on the bench or the starting 11, England was a lot stronger. But again, it proves a point that you don't have to have individually strong players. If you have a good team, you're going to win in soccer. I praise the Italians. They didn't have the individual players, except for maybe Chiesa, who was able to, you know, dribble past the defenders. He was able to, you know, have a couple of solid strikes. But other than that, I mean, some of the other guys were a lot older, and they didn't have that type of impact during this during this tournament. But played like a team until the end, and and got it done. That's the sum of the parts, baby, right there. Coach speak, sum of the parts. All right, gang, that's going to do it for this week. As always, on the way out, peace!